Let me be perfectly clear, this world is perfectly queer You know that we're perfectly natural It's not a mistake, it's not a choice that we make It's just that we're perfectly natural Hello! And welcome to Perfectly Natural, a very gay animal podcast where we talk about very gay animals. I'm Aim Phoenix and I'm a writer and an enthusiast. G'day or gay day. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Em. I am a DPhil student at Oxford and I am studying uh, at the Department of Zoology. And I am also wearing a jumper because it's a bit nippy out. I thought you were going to say you're, gonna, you're high, Ina. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're sober right now, but wouldn't that have been good? <laughs> oh, boy. That's a low start. Uh, uh, things come in better. <laughs> well, as, um, as I said in the 1990 Saren Labour election campaign. Things can only get better. What's that song? Things can only get better. Is that a Labour song? Yeah. There's um, also a song. There's also a song, a popular song, not a sh- like a shitty label. What are you talking about? This it is a song. Let me just get it up. Your political parties have songs. They, they choose songs. And- oh, okay. No, I know. Yeah. It can only get better. Yeah. Yeah. This was okay. The- that was a Labour Party song. Labour Party uses in their 1997. Okay, that's campaign. incredible. Okay, I'm sorry, I take out everything I said. That was negative. That was that's incredible. I love that. Go the Labour's Labour Party. The Labour's. That's a good one. <laughs> They're not sports team. The Labour's. The Labour's are playing ice hockey this weekend <laughs> against the Conservatives. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I think the uh, Conservative Party would win on the ice-cold front. Oh! Because <laughs> um, of if, hockey. <laughs> if, if you haven't noticed, we're a very political podcast. Yeah. Because we think that gay people should have rights. Yeah, that's quite political. Very political. It's a pretty political agenda. Someone once said, someone said to me the other day that uh, having like a strong stance on homosexuality was a, con- a controversial political move. And I was like, interesting that you should think that about me. <laughs> that- I was told at a previous job, I put my pronouns in yeah. my email bio and yeah. I was told, could you take them out? They're a bit political. Oh, well, sorry about my... Self. Fuck you. <laughs> Suffice to say that was not a job I remained in long. Hi, future employers, if you're hiring. We're all about politics here, about pushing the political boundaries. And you know who else is pushing boundaries, Aim? Is Fucking it? hyenas. Hyenas. <laughs> you know what? I hope that when I die, someone wants like, someone comes to my funeral and is like, you know, I didn't much like the podcast, but what I did like was that... <laughs> M had really interesting and novel ways of linking from inane bullshit into the topic of the day. I really appreciate that you need like it needs to be a your funeral for this <laughs> opinion. <laughs> yeah. Your segues are incredible. I'm loving this. Back to hyenas. So Aim and I are both uh, gender fluid, non-binary, uh Somewhere on the gender spectrum. Do we want to talk a bit more like in depth about our gender experience? Just like Yeah, 
yeah, why depth not? in the, like, the next 60 seconds. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> Please talk about your gender experience so while my, I relax my, here for a minute. <laughs> my gender adventures really... I, I, I stumbled across a definition for agender when I was about 19. And I, I, I never felt so yeah. seen before in my entire life. Yeah. Like, oh, I, the fact that I don't really experience this is, is a thing. I'm not the yeah. only person who relates to myself in this way. Yeah. And... Like the, the the years since, like growing and learning yeah. and reading and talking mm-hmm. and talking and yeah. talking, has really been about the way I relate to myself is more important than the way other people relate to my specific gender identity. Yeah, but also having that community around me of people who mm-hmm. get it. Like I have a bunch of non-binary pals, mm-hmm. and we call each other the bees because we're an arbitrary number of bees. N B N B. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> N equals B. How many B? X B. X number of B. Because we're excellent. <laughs> um, the but X B. Having the space where we hang out and we don't feel like any of our gender experience has to go through a cis lens mm, or like at least that. a binary lens. It's yeah. just so freeing. And yeah. I imagine that's how some people feel all the time. Yeah. When, yeah. when it's not. Not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is interesting. I think. Yeah, it, that kind of mirrors my own experience in a way. I think I remember me and my cousin, who's also non-binary. Nice, hi Zoe. They came out as non-binary, and I saw on Facebook, and I was like, "Wow, that's cool." And uh, something like this year, and I was like, "That's really interesting." I remember I messaged them, and I was like, "Hey, this is super interesting. I'm super intrigued by this, and please can we talk about this more?" And they were like, "Yeah, I mean." And I was like, this all makes so much sense. We had a big chat about it. And I was like, why didn't we talk about it when we were younger, when we were growing up together? And they were like, probably we did. Like saying things like, we're like more like tomboys or like a bit kind of different to other people and didn't really fit with the men, didn't really fit with the ladies. And we didn't really kind of gel into a space. And I think what it made us do, and it makes me do especially, like other things for myself, or allowed me to create a space that I finally felt comfortable in. Mm. And obviously, I can create that space as much as I want, and I can live in it. But it's not often respected, unfortunately, about it being like, this is a space that I have never had, that a lot of people like to be called a man or a woman. And I think the thing that I find quite hard is in science... Because women in science are so suppressed and there's just not many of them. Mm. If you aren't a loud, proud woman in science, and I think you get a bit marginalized. And I think people kind of don't understand why I wouldn't want to be this strong, powerful woman. I was like, I do want to be a strong, powerful person. And I am a strong, powerful person. But I'm not a woman. I'm also not a man. I'm just, whatever I am, I'm me. And I look, I don't look at people and be like, you are a man. I don't categorize you. And I'm pretty sure they don't do it to me. But it is kind I, of a weird I, I, I think there's definitely some people who will be categorizing oh, you. Oh, and those are the ones who are going to get upset if they think that your categorization of yourself affects them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do still struggle with it from time to time because I have some issues with my father. One might call them daddy-ish. <laughs> Don't want to be anything like him. And so I, I, at some point after coming out as non-binary, I was a bit afraid of it, of me being, of that being a step towards being a, a man or therefore being him. Uh, so therefore I, I, I but I, you know, I've gone through a quote therapy, which is great. And I'm finding myself and I feel... Yeah, like, I really feel accepted, but not by anybody else, but myself. 
which is what I think I've always wanted is to be accepted by myself and that's kind of what this podcast is about as well me finding out with you a good mate about like how amazing this world is and how what we do is so boring compared to what the <laughs> shit goes on outside these rooms. I, <laughs> again, in a previous job, I had a, when I'd first come out as non-binary at work, I had a colleague come over and tap me on the shoulder and just, just like, say very gently, what is it like to be you? <laughs> I just looked up at her and I was like, I'm really tired. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it's like to, to not be me. <laughs> like, I haven't got any base of experience yeah. that isn't this. Yeah. I, it's not like I woke up one day and decided to change yeah. my entire experience of the world. It's finally yeah. finding a way yeah. to explain it and yeah. to myself even. And the thing, I think it was... One of my really good friends, who is really lovely and really, really wonderful, once asked me when I first came out as on binary, like, why don't you think you're a woman? And then like, for ages, I was like, really fucking pissed off that I couldn't answer that question because I don't know what doesn't make me a woman. But then I thought, I was like, you know what? What other woman or person is being asked to think about what makes him a woman? I like, mean, trans women. Well, yeah. Because TERFs are the worst. Yeah. And this is, if you're a TERF, yeah. we got some educator for you. Yeah, boy. As InSync once said, bye, bye, bye. Is that Battery Boys? <laughs> <laughs> You looked so horrified. No, I, I think it is wrong. NSYNC. I, I was expecting you to go, bye, bye, boy. <laughs> bye, I think you didn't. Bye, bye. It is NSYNC. Just saying. Brilliant. Bye, bye, bye. That's the dance I do. There's a dance. It looks yeah. like a crocodile. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, I was like, you know, after a while, I was like, you know what? I don't need to actually prove to anybody what I am because I'm just lucky that I live in this world that allows me to explore this. Mm-hmm. And while I feel safe too and and you know Oxford's quite good for this while I feel safe and there's other people around me I'm gonna do it and then if I don't feel safe anymore I might not but at this point in time I'm excited I feel safe good wow it was the wrong sound for that can you change my noise there future aim to something more positive wow <laughs> Which is actually a good segue into what I want to talk about first, is genders in nature. So, we often think about two sexes, right? Or two genders, or Or both. both. Some people, we still have, like, gender essentialists who say they're one and the same. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, uh, so the male and the female, basically. Um, And now, what's really exciting is in humans, we see it more as a spectrum, and I think it's super interesting that only just now, in the 21st century, humans are like, maybe it's a spectrum, like sexuality. Like, the animals are I like... I mean, there's absolutely... <laughs> this is not from the 21st century. Humans have been doing this since the, the dawn of humanity. I mean, forever. It but just hasn't been in, like, the narrative of history. Of it's history, not been... Yeah. We have, like, queer people haven't read in the history books. Yeah. And we haven't been centering ourselves in the narrative because we haven't yeah. had the opportunity to... So it's not a new line of thought. It's just not yeah. one that's ever been able to take that popular huh. yeah. dichotomy, I think. Especially yeah. like going back yeah, to your yeah, point about yeah. like women in sciences yeah. and how there's, it's until the last matter of decades, yeah. we've had yeah. the same people pushing this scientific yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. And that has gone until recently and challenged. So yeah. whilst in this area, I say massively, it's, yeah. 
Interesting. Just okay, yeah. Point. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I That's think it's, it's not a new... No, yeah, it's a good point too. This is why we have you around, Aim. Oh, yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I often do think... I do have this quite a narrow viewpoint in that like a lot of this stuff is quite new because it's new to me. So I'm very obviously very egotistical. If you can't tell through the podcast, I have a massive ego. <laughs> so, oh, um, so I often do uh, confuse my own experience with the experience. I think that's something that we all do. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, interesting. I think you're right. I mean, I mean, I'm well. This book, if you freaking want to read about. The birds and the bees. The is birds the and the bees. Called. Yeah, is it? Oh, it is. Yeah, well, the biological exuberance book I we always quote is a um, has a wonderful uh, and we're going to go into the talk about cassowaries because there's a beautiful part in here or many multiple parts about like culture and transgenderism and bisexuality and homosexuality and non-binaryism and the cassowary is like the best bird I've ever oh, I can't even talk about it right now I'll cry because it's so amazing <laughs> and I love how much you love this bird a lot of a lot of like like uh, New Guinean and Northern like Australian like lore in Aboriginal cultures like in terms of homosexuality, was like surrounded was was surrounded by the cassowary, so they are actually gay icons. The gayest icon, and not in any kind of like slang. Literally a gay icon, like an icon is in the old school way of using icon. Love like a it. God. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, so I think I think th- what the part I'm gonna make is that animals are clearly understand there's a spectrum of sexuality because many if not all of them engage in bisexuality slash pansexuality and I think quite a lot of in fact there's actually quite a few ranges of genders and I think the gender the gender is so not tied to your genitals as the fucking hyena points out because they have a fucking pseudo penis now let's talk about that so when we were first <laughs> this podcast to each other back and forth you said the word pseudo penis yeah I, I, I hope you can answer all the questions that well, I had. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you like yell questions at me. What? <laughs> <laughs> so is this like a strap-on? No. What? Because <laughs> I, I feel like when I wear my strap-on, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my dick. Which I guess is kind of non-pseudo-penis. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. They don't strap it onto themselves. It's actually a fused clitoris. Yeah. And then they have balls, which is their labia fused, like false scrotum. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. As in all female hyenas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Every, every female, they think, so this is also, I, feel like, I, I really hope, this is what I dream for this podcast is, I guess something wrong and someone berates me in, in Twitter, on Twitter saying you got this fucking wrong. So if so, I get this wrong, yeah. I, I invite it. Please tell me if I got shit wrong. Mm-hmm. So they think it's because of testosterone levels in the uterus. In that they like the fetuses are exposed to quite a lot of testosterone, which get makes that happen. But then there's also been, you know, other studies that have been like, well, the males get the same amount. Why wouldn't it make theirs bigger or different in some way? Or like, is there some kind of thing from the ovary, some kind of hormone from the ovary? Does it start before they even fetuses? Is it actually from within the eggs of the female? So. Basically, they think it's a hormonal thing. That's really interesting. What the actual mechanism is, is slightly muddy and unclear, but that's basically what we think it is at this point. Do we know, like, is, is this how hyenas have always been since they evolved into this, like, version of the species? Or is it new? Well, it's only the spotted hyena. 
So okay. there are other species of hyena that don't have this. Okay. So it probably was some kind of like when they diverged, it could have been a mutation. Mm-hmm. I imagine what was it? I, I was into freaking evolutionary theory now, but I imagine it was <laughs> some kind of like mutation that meant that like or that mimicked um, their societal structure because they are a matriarchal society, and it's possible it's, a, it's possible that the female with the high testosterone had this like fused pseudo penis, and everyone was like, "Holy crap, you're the dominant female! You've got this like fake penis," and then you know that, I mean, it they started was, evolving to all um, mimic or I mean, have higher. Yeah, survival. I imagine actually it was quite a lot slower than that. Evolution systems happen like this, but. You know, when I was a kid, that's exactly how I thought it happened. Me too. Like the fish from The Simpsons that crawls yep. out of the mud. Yep. Blinky was his name. Blinky. I think so. Yeah. He had three eyes, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Where to now? <laughs> so tell me a bit about this pseudo penis. Oh yes. So. Oh 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 oh. Okay, this is going to be less about gay sex. I want to advise you. I don't know why I made this. Oh. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I mean, like a house mix. Ooh, 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 ooh. I'm a bonobo. Ooh, 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 ooh. You're so inspired. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I've got clothes stick. Ooh, 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 ooh. Wow, they're so shiny. I mean, I, I do appreciate the, the heads up. I was saying to one of my partners over lunch, he was saying that I've ruined him for any form of heterosexual romance because he finds it really boring now. And I was like, that's because you're all so queer. Yeah. You know this. So, hyena sex. Okay, so it's going to be... So, so, okay, hyenas are super complex socially. Super complex. Okay. Uh, females will remain in their, like, where they grew up. With the, we call it their natal group. So where they their mum had them, they're going to stay there basically their whole life. Cool. Males, however, are kicked out after they go through puberty, basically. And then they have to go out and find a new group. And uh, a part of that is finding where they are, a group where they can fit into a pecking order where they're comfortable and everyone else is comfortable. Because... Hyenas have a fucking linear hierarchy, and there's a female at the top mostly, or it's co-male female dominated. There's not often is it a male dominated social group. Okay, and it's in a line down, like literally. There's like one after the other, after the other, after the other, and they and they've got a and there is an element of mounting that promotes this like like kind of uh, where you fit in, um, but. Actually, I read a study through this one I thought was super interesting. Everyone was like, oh, the sex, like, sex is how they decide because they are quite a sexual being. They do have, they, like, there's quite, they have quite massive sex organs, both, both genders. Um, and they use it to signalize happiness more than like wagging their tail. They use like they wow. often like flick their penis onto their onto their chest to what? indicate happiness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Both the pseudo penis and the real penis. Love it. Um, but we they actually looked at the study looked at excluding sex um in any uh, in any form. How do other things that influence that apart from sex, and the dominant thing on par with sex that they found in this study was social support. So if you had a mate in that group who was willing to support you to be in it, you would get a higher position because you had a friend. So it's like cooperation. It's like... Cooperation or nepotism? Well... Cooperative nepotism? Cool, let's go with that. (laughs) 
Or say if a female is fighting for dominance from the alpha female or the alpha female co-male with the male. I mean, not co-male. I don't know what a co-male is. Like a co-pilot. <laughs> the alpha female or male. Um, then the, the animal who has more social support is more willing to be the dominant one. So if the dominant female or male holds more social support, they'll maintain it. Be, yeah. But if another one rises up and has more mates. So there's like this really like, yeah, so they're like, so interestingly social. But, uh, so there's lots of dynamics at play there. Super and dynamics. that's going to affect so many different Super dynamics. <laughs> so yeah, the he- yeah, the Hina. Oh my God, the Hina. 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 They possibly have the most complex social structure after primates uh, is what people reckon. I've never heard that before. Yeah, the spotter hyena. Man. There is, there's, there's a striped hyena as well, which is super interesting. I saw them a lot in Nepal. They were super amazing. But the spotter hyena, yeah, super complex, super interesting. Could have a whole episode just talking about how fucking dope hyena social systems are. But I want to talk about how they fuck. Tell me. Let's get down and dirty with hyenas. <laughs> so if you imagine you've got your fused clitoris. How are you personally? going? Yeah, your, yours personally. <laughs> How are you going to mate with – if you want to have sex and have a baby, how are you going to have sex? How are you going to get a penis inside your fused clitoris that is, like, this long? I would really hope some dilation. Not, not really. Well, some. Maybe not a lot, though. Or, or, or just, like, get some like some cum play going on and just wrap it on down there. No. Artificial insemination? No. It retracts, and then the male, he, like, has to, like, kind of shimmy around and hop around and just hope it gets in there. But, like, it, like, kind of, like an accordion. Yeah, and then... But the rest of the... Is, is that the only time they retract? Yeah. Is it only during mating sex? Basically, yeah. Yeah. And the rest of the time they're just like, oh, yeah. look at my schlong. Yeah. Yeah. Quack, quack, quack. Which sometimes, so apart conversely to males, the uh, female food business doesn't really get erect during um, penetration. It does sometimes does get erect in other kind of forms of intercourse, which does occur. There's a lot, quite a lot of like mating that happens. That's um, interesting, just like yeah. considering how like the human clit can just yeah fucking do wild things. Yeah, totally. I know, it's super interesting. The thing with males is, because it's so hard to get in there when the penis is inside the clitoris, it, like, swells and it's in, like, a lock-on period. And so they, the hinds have to go away So they because they, once it's... Like, when that once it happened, he's locked to her for a certain amount of time and then he's, like, vulnerable to being killed by a lion. Well, oh, they wow. both are, really. yeah. Oh, Yeah. How, how long are we talking? I'm not sure. It could be, I mean, depending on, like, it could be a couple minutes, 10 minutes, but that doesn't, that's enough if it's like a lion nearby or like, and they probably make now, I mean, you know, hyenas make noises, I bet they make crazy noises. Oh, I don't want to hear a hyena sex noise. No. But I, I'm not actually, I don't actually think they make that often, okay. but I, it doesn't sound pleasant for either of them, No. Honestly. Well, so a um, female is, is in estrus for about three days and then... Uh, in that time, if she's chosen a mate, they will mate repetitively in that time. So, in estrus meaning is ovulating. receptive. Yeah, ovulating. Okay, yeah. Liable to conceive. Yes. Liable. Liable. <laughs> At risk. <laughs> the craziest thing mm-hmm. about hyena sex is they don't have 
a vaginal they have a vaginal canal like we do so i was going to ask like that it's going into the clitoris yeah it has to go through through the vagina yeah well no that is the vagina okay that's it the the clitoris it is like outwards and the vagina has to go through the vagina and then the clitoris yeah fuck yeah most females die no yeah yeah during their first during their first Childbirth. I think like more than half of hyenas, what a hyenas die oh my during God. that process. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, um, things. Yeah, I mean, and then but once they've once it's happened, they tend to survive a lot higher because they survive a lot higher because more yeah, it's to be able to. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, that's kind of basically how hyena sex works. Um, oh wow, which is quite intense, huh? Yeah. Uh, none of that sounds like any form of sex I'd want to have. No, well, I think, I don't know. I mean, but imagine having that much testosterone that, like, you... But the thing is... I mean, I'm still waiting would... for the gender clinic to well, give me yeah. Energy, so. <laughs> <laughs> But the thing that everyone used to think was that, oh, well, the females have so much testosterone, therefore they must be aggressive. Because everyone links testosterone with, like, mad aggression. Is that, like... The truth. No, not really at all. Which okay. is what, what which is what the, so, so the social support stuff kind of kind of feeds back into is that like actually they're quite a passive society really in a way, uh, and they mostly rely on like sociality and like and like social like networks to coexist, not aggression. Because aggression's kind of a way out of like m- minimizing social interactions or like you know making sure that everything's going to plan, but actually. They found they found out, I guess, in some way or other that actually having mates is better. That's being what I friends. Found out. Yeah, yeah. I really value my friends. <laughs> Apparently, I've got a thing here. I've said adverse to heterosexual mating, and can you can you imagine why? But I don't not, know. That's well, shocking. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and they are. I mean, the thing is, they can have massive groups. It can be like sixty individuals, no, six to like ninety individuals. It can be a massive group. That's a lot. And they often go through periods of like because. They're having babies. The females are retained in the group, but the males have to go, and therefore they're they're getting rid of their young boys, but they're getting more young boys from a different clan. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly – they're constantly having to rejig this social balance. So they often – they have to have it right, right? They have to have some so kind of plan yeah. for every year when there's going to be new babies. Do they have gun charts? What? Like, to time scale shit. Yeah, so they know when they need to rejig it and how often the committee needs to meet. They don't have, they don't have thumbs. And who needs they to can't sign off in on this? They can't chart on Excel. <laughs> yeah, they can. They can use autofill. Oh, well, okay, with what? Their little claw, tiny yes. claw. Hello, I'm I'm Boris the hyena. Oh, I'm can we not use Boris? Boris. <laughs> <laughs> Glendra. Glendra. The I'm hyena. Glendra the hyena. I am at the top of my social scale. And, and I just need to... net charts. How do you say it? Nat Gant. charts. It's Nat. G-N-A-T-T. What? G-N-A-T-T. 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 Nat. Oh my god, how I've been saying Gantt charts wrong my entire life. I think life. it's Nat charts. Okay. Like the animal. To Google. This is very good podcasting. <laughs> I'm right. Oh, Gantt charts. Sorry, I said Nat. Like the animal, like the insect. Well, guess who's the zoologist? Okay, whatever, whatever. So, I'm not, I don't care. It's my <laughs> ego. So it's like, just, just like, and on the 29th of March, the committee will meet, make sure to book coffee and sandwiches. 
Yes. That's too much also, like my daily walking. Yeah. It's <laughs> a bit too real. Homosexual mounting probably occurs only occasionally in this species, although the majority of meeting ceremonies anywhere from 55 to 95% like to occur between adult females. So they meet each other by having a bit of a mount. Mm-hmm. That's cute. That's nice. I, 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 is it kind of like a hug or is it much more sexual than that? A hug. It's a bit like a hug. I think it's probably a bit like a hug. Um, also, functionally bisexual. <laughs> Same. <Yeah. laughs> bisexual. I was telling my therapist earlier how when I came out to my mum, I was told that I couldn't be bisexual because bisexuality doesn't exist. And oh. I was like, all right, then what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Tell me about how I don't exist. So I can only be really good friends with women? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so this is what friendship looks like. Really good friends. Really, best friends. Really close. <laughs> <laughs> I've also just read here that 60% of infants are still born on the first time oh. oh and I meant okay it's 25% not 50% okay so yeah sorry I made a mistake not half the mothers died 25% of the mothers die 60% of the babies are still born this is a fact, a fact check for me um, also again like male giraffes apparently most male hyenas don't breed at all just mostly the what the one probably the most dominant male breed with all the females in the in the clan so they have a completely different social structure yeah but then there was I was reading a paper or like an observation that they were uh, a, a, a male who just recently immigrated into a group mm-hmm. did mate with a female and but they were both quite low ranking okay so it could be that if there's a lot of the low ranking f- individuals they may mate together which is really bizarre interesting sad a bit a bit bullying I feel a bit like I would be sick I would be I would be like mocked on the playground having a banana in my lunchbox by the other hyenas because he'd had sex with an equally <laughs> low-ranking hyena if, if, you, if you're that low-ranking I don't think they'd care yeah <laughs> or maybe they do maybe they really care yeah. about everybody but they're just like I care about me more more yeah well that's kind of like humans that's just like humans oh, that's kind of normal uh, for some reason, at the end of this chapter, which I found quite funny, is that they also just added that sometimes raccoons have sex with other with uh, homosexual sex. I was like, Wait, okay. I don't think that they are in the same thing. I, I, I thought about saying raccoons have sex with hyenas, and that would be no, no. It's just I don't think no. It's just two other species of small carnivores. He just he just lumped them in at the end. That dwarf mongoose, by the way, also raccoons, also martens, sometimes have homosexual sex. Just so you know, there's a footnote. It doesn't really fit there at all, but... Uh, Are hyenas that small? This little black dot. That high... Oh my god, oh, no. you put the hyena on a page? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> They're pretty big, and they also have massive heads. Oh, here's a good... And massive penises. So, oh, yeah. This is the thing they do. They, they put... So when once a male has mounted the female and has like a found a way to get into the clitoris she will put her head down to indicate okay I'm ready I'm not gonna bite you if her head's up it's like I'm gonna fucking bite you go away so that's that is their way of forming consent yes yeah it's like my head's down I'm passive to this um so yeah not enthusiastic consent just I'm passive to this (laughs) so I wanted to end this episode so I want to read this passage though I really liked it well I don't know if I like it or not I found it interesting like is a strong word. I found it interesting. I would You're passive to it. I want to talk about it, basically. Okay. It's from Zachary Nataf from the future, the postmodern lesbian body in transgender trouble. I want to be a postmodern lesbian. Lesbian. Have you heard that song? It's an Australian song. It's called I'm So Postmodern. 
and it's by this guy who is also Tasmanian, also a freaking legend. He was called, the, when I knew him, he was called the Bedroom Philosopher. He now writes amazing books, and he was, like, a, a, a comic, like, songwriter. And, like, he wrote this song about, like, I didn't know what Postmodern was at the time when it came out, but he was, like, one of the lines was, I found so funny is, he was, like, I wrote, I'm so postmodern that I wrote my pin number in hier- in hieroglyphics on my neighbor's guide dog. Can you imagine that? Always, like, one of his other lines is, like, <laughs> I'm so postmodern that all my clothes are made out of sleeping bags. I don't need pockets. I'm a pocket myself. Like, it's just the most random shit. And then and at some point, he actually has a recorded subliminal message. A subliminal message. I don't know what it says, but it just plays in the background. And it sounds trippy as hell. Anyway. Sounds like my sort of thing. He wrote a lovely book called Get Up, Mum. And it's about his mum who had schizophrenia, I'm pretty sure. And it's really beautiful. And he is a beautiful man. And I want to meet him. Anyway. They say it's like cough violently. <laughs> I want to play you a little bit. He also wrote a song called North Coat, so I'm over. Justin Hazelwood, fucking legend. Cool. I'm so postmodern that I just don't talk anymore. I wear different colored t shirts according to my mood. I'm so postmodern that I work from home as a surf life saving consumer hotline. I'm so postmodern, all my clothes made out of sleeping bags. I don't need pockets. I'm a pocket myself. I'm so postmodern. Anyway. That's Justin Heaselwood. What a fucking legend. Imagine. <laughs> okay. Quote. This is... Wait, we're serious now. In a search for new vocabularies and labels, terms like shapeshifter and morphing have come to be used to refer to gender identity and sexual style presentations and their fluidity. Shapeshifter, originally from Native American culture, was introduced into current popular culture from science fiction, especially a new offshoot from the cyberpunk subgenre made famous by William Gibson and exemplified by the work of Octavia E. Butler, the African-American author of Xenogenesis, the Xenogenesis Genesis series, showing this book's age. I think this out. is also showing the um, need of that writer to meet a word count. Yes, I know. <laughs> it's like... Let me just define all of the notable cyberpunk writers. <laughs> most of that sentence that didn't even be said. That most of that sentence was just like about Xenogenesis. Anyway, Butler's books are inhabited by genetics manipulating aliens, a polygendered species whose sexuality is multi multifarious and who are impelled to metamorphosize. What? Impelled to metamorphosis. That doesn't make any sense. I'm gonna say impelled to metamorphosize, whose survival in fact depends on their morphological morphological change, genetic diversity and adaptations. So, I wanted to say that because I know you really like sci-fi. You know I do. I thought it was interesting because it's in this book in the context of how do we as modern humans look at sexuality and gender? How did indigenous humans look at it? Mm. And how, therefore, do we think maybe also in that realm of humans and animals, how do animals look at it as well? Um, and mm, most of the conversation I know it's huge but I think the hyena is a really interesting animal because they push the boundaries of gender because you know you know if someone when I first came out as a body they were like well you're a lady because you have a vagina and I'm like well no firstly trans people yes yeah. also intersex people yeah and that's not what makes me 
a woman. Is this woman who've had hysterectomies? Yeah. And I just like disown that completely. I'm a woman if I want to be because whatever I want to be, not because of what lies between my legs. And I think hyenas are like, it pushes people to think, okay, this we you are a female because you give birth to an like a, a an a, like a a baby i suppose maybe that's the stretch we go to then but like they functionally have a penis so therefore why aren't they also men why aren't all hyenas therefore men because like if if we're looking at in like a really old like really narrow minded view if we're looking at sex and gender as being intertwined then mm. why didn't all those fucking racist homophobic scientists be like oh well i guess all all hyenas are men then maybe they did anyway that was like that's interesting though because also looking at the it's interesting from the perspective of hyenas as a matriarchal society yeah and the genitalia or like pseudogenitalia there is not what's dictating the hierarchies yeah it's no it's so it's it's being nice really i mean it's it's, how many people support you i mean okay i'm not gonna say there's not fucking hyenas out there who like manipulate other hyenas to be their friends but we've all seen the lion (laughs) i just think it's really interesting that like we have these animals that display these male characteristics have heaps of testosterone are very gentle seemingly and like have really interesting mating habits and like really intricate societies and are like basically just overturning all we know about gender and sex i fucking love it i like a lot yeah wow i'm fucking tired i like a lot yeah i like a lot (laughs) we didn't really talk about what massively about the gay animals this time they're not that gay the thing is, they're not. They're just really interesting. Yeah, but they have these pseudo penises. Be, yeah, yeah. Ugh, it's so. It's perfectly yeah. natural. Aim. It's not. <gasps> this is the gay animal podcast. <laughs> this is queer animals. They're queer as shit. That's true. They're very queer. <laughs> true. Thanks for calling me out. They don't, <laughs> <laughs> they don't often have homosexual sex. And, and, and they are functionally bisexual, but I don't think they are. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that's what it meant by functionally bisexual, as yeah. in they are. It's just not yeah. a. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I think the reason I wanted to bring it up was that it, it allowed us to have, have a gender conversation about ourselves. Yes. And about society and how society views gender and how gender isn't just doodle girls. And it doesn't just mean your dick or your vagina. It is so much more than that. It's so mm-hmm. much more complex. And I hope that you at home listening to this take some time and think about where you sit on that gender spectrum because it's a beautiful journey to go on. It's a universe. I was talking to somebody at one of the science fiction fantasy conventions Hell yeah. I was at um, one of the booksellers who was selling a bunch of queer literature um, and I bought a like a one-on-one queer and trans issues book Aww. and the bookseller was like it's actually been really interesting reading these and selling these because it's made me question my own queerness and I'm Aww. like that's what happens when people start yeah. thinking about their queerness they start breaking down their own walls and barriers yeah. and it's great to see that it's not a new trend. Yeah. It's not something no. that only happens over the internet. No. It's, it's not just no. for young people. Yeah. No, totally. Not at all. And I think it really, like, gender is a really interesting thing that I've only really started thinking about. And I've been really excited in reading about hyenas because it's... What other species kind of has these, like, really weird... I mean, like, massively imposed gender roles. Mm-hmm. And I think... There are gender roles or, like, sex roles or dominance roles in, anim- in the animal kingdom, but I think it's not much to do about uh, your gender um, and what chromosomes you have. I think it's a lot more to do with 
many other things. And yeah. I don't know. I think the hyenas are a really interesting example of that. Very true. Yeah. That, that was a brilliant ride. Thank you. Thank you well, for doing all the hard work. Close. Boop. And we're closing the book on that. <laughs> we're closing the book on that episode. Yay. <laughs> um, thanks for joining us for another week and exploration of queer animals. Um, we'll be back again next week with some Corbett. How Corbett. Um, I've been Aim. I'm M. Goodbye. Bye. Hooroo. Get another gum leaf on the barbecue. Oh, Aim, there's a crocodile on my leg. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> Perfectly Natural was hosted by M. Dale and Aim Phoenix. Support the show by rating us on iTunes and telling your friends about us. Contact us on Twitter where we're at perfnaturalcast or email us at perfectly.natural.podcast at gmail.com. Da 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 da